0: Well, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. America's best
1: days are yet
0: to come. This is Reaganism, a podcast dedicated to exploring where the Reagan movement lives today. I'm Roger Zak, I'm your host, director of the Ronald Reagan Institute in Washington, D.C. On this episode of Reaganism, we are joined by actor and humanitarian Gary Sinise. Gary Sinise is the founder of the Gary Sinise Foundation, an organization dedicated to promoting the well-being of America's military veterans and first responders. He is famously known for playing Lieutenant Dan in Forrest Gump, in addition to numerous other roles. Roger and Gary discuss his acting career, foundation, and work with veterans. Gary Sinise, welcome to Reaganism.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) Thrilled to have you here. Uh, Many of our listeners probably know you as Lieutenant Dan from Forrest Gump, or the other uh, amazing roles you've played from Truman to Apollo 13, CSI and elsewhere. Uh, Others may be familiar with the great work you've been doing for years now on behalf of Americans veterans and first responders through the Gary Sinise Foundation. Uh, Came across something you wrote in Time Magazine on the recent uh, Veterans Day here and pointed out some practical things Americans can do for our veterans one that I was saying I should have thought of that you point out in your pieces when you're at a restaurant and you see a veteran there you'll often notice them because they're wearing their cap and you just pick up the tab for them anonymously is that practice you've been employing for some time now
1: uh y- yes um, I mean quite a number of years. Um, you know i can't say i always notice everybody in every restaurant i go to uh, everything but when i do notice uh, veterans or active duty service members in uniform i like to send them a message of support by just letting them know that there was somebody in there who who appreciates what they do and uh, wanted to buy them lunch and and i'll tell you that that kind of thing that type of tradition for me manifested itself into the creation of a program and one of the programs at the Gary Sinise Foundation we call uh, Serving Heroes. And it's a program where we provide, uh, you know, meals all around the country on military bases, overseas, uh, you name it. Uh, We do dozens of these Serving Heroes programs each month uh, for service members all around the country and overseas. And, and that is really just a way of us, you know, I mean, they can certainly get food wherever they want, wherever they are. It's not necessarily about the food, really. It's about the message of support and appreciation and just letting them know, you know, that, uh, somebody like me who was in the movie business and, you know, television business appreciates what they do. And I know where my freedom comes from. And I want to, want to buy them lunch. And now the American people support the Gary Sinise foundation. And so we are able to provide just hundreds of thousands of meals all across the so world. They know
0: It's not just a government supporting them, but it's the American people there through the Gary Sinise foundation. I want to come back. That's exactly great, right. Great work you've done at the foundation. And I was uh, kind of remarkable the size given how relatively young it is uh, relative to other foundations that have been in the business. But before we go there, a little bit more, about your background, I had a chance to read your book. I'll hold it up here, Grateful American, A Journey from Self to Service. And um, I was surprised, I mean, it was kind of intuitive, but somewhat surprised how much your role as Lieutenant Dan in that blockbuster film and compelling film, Forrest Gump, really had an impact on your mindset and commitment to service and supporting Uh, those who have served going into the film, you obviously wanted that. Although it's kind of interesting story. You profile in the book that perhaps, uh, if you would have had the role in Wyatt Earp, we may never have seen you as Lieutenant Dan, but, (laughs) but you took on that role and, and you really kind of invested in emotionally, take us through kind of how your role as Lieutenant Dan in Forrest Gump drove you further into this world of supporting americans who serve us in the military i i think it was a
1: uh, you know it was, it, it was definitely one of the one of the factors involved in in how active i am today i would say because of uh you know lieutenant dan was a wounded veteran and um, and that really began my support of our wounded when I when I started supporting the Disabled American Veterans Organization. And there's that that opening chapter in the book, the kind of prologue, which is all about when I got invited after Forrest Gump opened, I got invited to go to the National Convention of the DAV. And I didn't know what the DAV was. You know, I had met some wounded service members before. Certainly I'd met many Vietnam veterans before. But when I walked out on stage, they wanted to present an award to me for playing Forrest Gump. And and these are, you know, there was 2,000, 2,500, 3,000. I don't know what it was. It was a large, large number of wounded veterans in that ballroom. That was uh, a... Kind of a life changing experience for me to to walk in there and and to see so many wounded veterans applauding me for playing Lieutenant Dan and so I just stayed actively involved with them uh, after after a while but and then when September 11th happened I just got very very involved in so many things and including trying to support our wounded. And okay. you know, it, had I not played Lieutenant Dan, I don't know. Uh, you know, I would have never been invited to the DAV convention, and you know, something else may have happened.
0: Certainly not something you would have anticipated taking on a, a role like that. And and the movie came out in 1994, so 9/11 was some years later. But in the minds of Americans and and those who watched that film and were impacted by it, this was a double amputee role that you were you were playing, right? And and so. Here you are years later where that becomes the images and the, and experience American sea of, uh, of their wounded warriors. And so it kind of, for, for Americans, it was a natural, uh, to
1: see you, uh, supporting them. A fortunate son is about the life of Louis Puller, who was a, a Vietnam veteran. And he was the son of the, the most decorated Marine in Marine history, Chesty Puller, um, um, and he stepped on a landmine and, and was blown up and lost his legs and was severely, severely injured. And, uh, he went through a lot of very difficult, difficult things, very challenging alcohol and very challenging. I mean, he, he, he was a very, very smart person, but really clearly uh, dealing with a lot of difficult demons from having served in Vietnam and having lost his limbs. And unfortunately, and I read the book and it was, it, it was very um, eye opening in terms of what, you know, somebody who had lost their legs uh, had, uh, how they were struggling. And You know, I mean, he, Lewis Puller has a very interesting story. He lived in Washington. He, you know, worked in Congress. I mean, he did all kinds of things. Um, But the demons eventually got him. And uh, about two months before Forrest Gump opened, he took his own life. And so um, I never got to meet him or... Mm you know, thank him for serving or telling his story, but it was very telling. And, you know, I remember, I remember reading about that. The movie hadn't even come out yet. And, uh, well, it was done filming, but the, the public hadn't seen it yet. No, the it, it opened in July of that year. And, and, and sadly he took his own life. I think I, it was May of that year. Well, you're right so,
0: about how you're reading the book and in your prep and then kind of the demons that he dealt with were, were demons, of course, profiled in the story of
1: Lieutenant Dan. Um,
0: of course. no question. And-
1: Yeah. Now Lieutenant Dan come, comes home. He, he, he was, uh, the, the reason so many Vietnam veterans, I think responded to Lieutenant Dan so specifically is because he, you know, it's, it's, it, it's a lot of their story. You know, he comes home from Vietnam. He's isolated. He's angry, Um, he's uh, in despair, Um, he withdraws from society, he buries himself in alcohol, Um, you know, he's dealing with a lot of demons. Lieutenant Dan has a terrible post-traumatic stress that he's dealing with. Obviously, you know, he's, he's suffering because he's wounded and he lost his legs and he's kind of isolated. But at the time, I remember at that time, you know, Vietnam veterans were not treated well at all um, when they came home. So he kind of withdraws, isolates, and he's not only dealing with the struggles of being physically uh, disabled by by what happened to him in the war, but he is dealing with the, the, the post-traumatic stress of having you know, walked his entire platoon into an ambush where a bunch of guys got killed. And, and then, excuse me. That's all good. (laughs) And then, uh, and the uh, emotional layer uh, there, others were wounded. Now he wasn't the only one who was wounded there in that ambush. And so, it was, a, it was very, very challenging for Lieutenant Dan to come home from war, and just the way it's very, very challenging for so many of our veterans to come home from war. But the story of Lieutenant Dan is a positive one.
0: Yeah, and that inspired so many. Uh, so today, watching that film, the other element of Lieutenant Dan's story and you write about it in your book is every family members, that this was in every generation, he has someone in his family who died fighting in in, in a war, uh, kind of recognizing that so many who serve in our military, it's this class of families that continue to serve. And increasingly, it's a smaller, smaller percentage of our population. In the years since then, do you find that there's some sort of resonance in the military community that the the role that you played actually is reflective of of so many who serve that they're in some sort of their families in this business in the military and the rest of the country
1: is increasingly separate and apart from it oh and uh, no question for so many so many who serve in the military it is of like a family business you know the granddad was in the uncles were in the brothers are in the, you know they're in and I've, I've met, you know, so many people who, who have uh, multiple family members that have, have served or are currently serving. Um, you have uh, members of your own yeah. family, right? You have uh, members who served in Vietnam. Well, yes, on my, on my wife's side of the family, uh, her two brothers served in Vietnam. Um, one was a helicopter pilot. The other was a West Point graduate who was a platoon leader and then went back for a second tour as a captain uh a company commander and then he went on to serve you know as a major he was a west pointer so he was uh, an officer and and he unfortunately passed away of cancer in in 1983 when he was teaching at uh, fort leavenworth he was a uh, a lieutenant colonel at the time he would have he was the he was the, I thought of Lieutenant Dan a little bit like him, like he wanted Lieutenant Dan wanted a, a strong, long lasting military career. He wanted to go on, and become a general, you know, I mean that's who Lieutenant Dan was. And I think for my brother in law who passed away, uh, the kind of leader he was and, the, and I've met, you know, since he passed away years sure. ago, I've met four star generals that he taught in at West Point who have become friends of mine and they had nothing but the highest respect and regard for my brother-in-law. So it's clear that my brother-in-law would have gone on and and become a a great military leader, a great general. And, and, and I always thought that's what Lieutenant Dan wanted to do. He wanted to serve and have a long military career, but that gets taken, that gets taken away from him and he withdraws and he becomes very angry and uh, you know, uh, it's, it's this and suffers like so many veterans who had
0: great plans, either for life in the military or outside the military. And then during their service, either because of physical wounds or emotional wounds, their life takes a very different course. And, and...
1: yeah, yeah, it's this, uh, you know, I mean, but, but ultimately at the end of uh, Lieutenant Dan's story um, he's standing up again, he's moving on with his life and he's, uh, you know, it's a positive ending to that story. And I, I you know, I, I, when I started walking into the hospitals and talking to the, the, the wounded from Iraq and Afghanistan, they wanted to talk about Lieutenant Dan and talk about that story. And, you know, in, in, in many ways, uh, in so many ways, I mean, they, that's what—that's the story that we want for everybody who gets wounded. The, we want the them source to move of hope.
0: Forward. right? They want that—they want that ending.
1: We want them to move forward with their life and and come back and put the war years behind them. Let me ask you on that. In terms of
0: Iraq and Afghanistan veterans, I think we've certainly done better by them than the country did for Vietnam veterans. Don't know if you share that view, but we do face the challenge of so many veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan are dealing with a country that increasingly views their mission as a mission that did not succeed. Many say they failed. What do you see when you engage Vietnam and Afghanistan, sorry, Iraq and Afghanistan veterans? And do you see that as something we can disaggregate that we're celebrating them, appreciating their service irrespective of a person's or the country's views in terms of the outcome of that conflict.
1: Yeah, I wrote a, I wrote a piece uh, for September 11th. Um, and I had, I had written the, I had written the piece and it was, uh, we were going to release it on September 11th. I usually do something uh, that day and here here we are on the 20th anniversary of September 11th. And we're coming up to that anniversary. And I had written a piece and I, I set it aside and we were going to, and then this horrible thing at that Kabul airport happened. And I had to go back in the piece and kind of adjust it because you couldn't, you couldn't just, I, I couldn't just not, uh, not, uh, um, Acknowledge what had happened. Sure, you know we have uh, so many who had served in Afghanistan, and so many that I've worked with and befriended over the years uh, through the Gary Sinise Foundation and through my work uh, with with our veterans. and And I have a lot of compassion for them. And I just wanted to express my personal gratitude and appreciation for them and to let them know that what they did in Afghanistan and how they served, uh, mattered to me, you know, and I have no control over decisions that are made with regards to what our military is going to do. And, and the same thing, it was the same thing in Vietnam, you know, Um, what I do have what I do have control over is how I respond to our soldiers as an American citizen. That's what I have control over. I'm not, I'm not in government. I'm not in, you know, political figure who can, uh, you know, order people around, tell them what to do and all that stuff. But I, but I can take matters into my own hands with regards to how I treat the men and women who serve our country. And so, much like Vietnam. I I remember I, I have relatives who served in Vietnam. I have many friends who served in Vietnam and they felt bad when they came home, they were treated badly. And then two years after the conflict ended, uh, Saigon fell and images of the escaping from the embassy. Yeah. And then they go, well, what, what, you know, what the heck was that all about? You know um, what did we do? And I, I, Assumed and understood that our Af- uh, Afghanistan veterans could could be feeling in a similar way, uh, based on what had happened. But to me, and that's this is what I have control over. Right. They they should know that their service mattered to me. My there there were no attacks planned and executed from the mountains of Afghanistan for twenty years. And and it's so because that's our, our, that's it. I mean, you know,
0: there is the piece that they should feel supported irrespective of outcomes. But I agree with you. I mean, since 9-11 through today and their entire time, we had troops on the ground in Afghanistan. We have not the homeland has not been attacked and that you can draw a line that outcome to the service members who've been on the
1: ground fighting in Afghanistan. I mean, that's you can't dispute that you 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 can't and uh look there's an entire generation of afghans who don't remember the taliban <laughs> you know now now they have to they have to face the taliban but uh right. there, there's an entire generation of kids that grew up under you know uh with the taliban having been uh you know pushed out and our our troops there you know, along with uh, a coalition of uh, service members from from nations all over the all over the world that were preventing those major attacks from being planned and executed uh, from Afghanistan. And many, many young women got to go to school. I know soldiers that were were building schools there, uh, ended up staying there after their service to support the men and women. uh of Afghanistan and the children. A lot of people were affected by our presence there in a positive way. And and so I, I just simply wanted our service members who served there to know how I feel personally about what they did and that I don't take it for granted. And I appreciate what they did. You know, we do a lot of polling here at the Reagan Institute
0: seeking the American people's views on these policy questions. I understand what you've just said that you just want to demonstrate to them that they're supported and appreciated interesting when it comes to Afghanistan that for years now there has been as many Americans who support and think we've been successful there as those who think we have not been successful political leadership of course impacts this one way or the other if President United says says hey like Barack Obama said we got to rebuild at home stop this overseas stuff or Donald Trump says hey you know we got to America first and focus on, on on what's going on at home, that, that tends to impact the mindset of, of the electorate. But when asked about whether we fee, feel we've been successful, the American people know, many, many do, and, and they consistently until recently played out that way in polling until they were you know, essentially told otherwise by political leadership, which has been on truly both sides of, of, of the aisle. I want to get your take on a question that often comes up with respect to veteran service organizations. And you know, the Gary Sinise Foundation has been significant, really impactful, as I mentioned before, in a short period of time. What's the response to the skeptic who says, hey, we have the Veterans Affairs Agency, right? We have, we have that you know, Department of Veterans Affairs. Shouldn't government take care of the men and women who serve? Why do we need additional foundation support, private sector support?
1: Well, why do you need any nonprofit to step into any space? (laughs) The government can't do everything. You know, what if, uh, what if we, what if Danny Thomas said, you know, well, I I think the government should handle all the, all the children cancer problems. We wouldn't have St. Jude's Hospital. You know, American citizens have freedom to make choices. You know, our freedom is provided by the men and women who serve our country and protect us. So, I my particular uh, mission here is to support our defenders, and it it, was, it, it goes back decades. Uh, I don't anticipate that, um, uh, nor think it and reasonable to consider that that government will provide everything for everybody. You know, that's uh, citizens can take responsibility. I I value my freedom. I know where it comes from. There's there's people with that go out and protect our country. Uh, There's a a small handful of our population that, that decide to do that. I don't do it you know um but there are some people that do and, and i want them with, with- to know that they are defended and i want them to know that they are protected and they are uh, appreciated i don't uh, i think i can do that i've benefited from my freedom i have means i have a platform and i can use it to try to to do some good for somebody and particularly
0: you know, it's something that's the key message that's not just coming from government, right? We have 20 million vets that they should see that the country cares and is devoted to them beyond you know, the <clears throat> confines of of one government agency, you know, that has that particular role or duty. How however important that is. Um, one thing I, I didn't want to overlook, but another forum and way that you've been so supportive of veterans, first responders, and others serving. Is Lieutenant Dan Ben? Um, tell us more uh, about that for those who haven't had the opportunity uh, to see you in action performing. And it's not like the band is is going to these preferred venues and no 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 pick your favorite you know city across the country. This is going out and really making sure you're going to locations of where our men and women in uniform are wherever they are around the world. So wh- wh- where have you been with the band and, and what its mission is?
1: Well, the, I played music when I was a kid. And um, I I remember my first USO tour <clears throat> that I went on overseas. Kid Rock was there playing and Leanne Womack was was singing and i hope you dance that was your big yeah. one right that was that, was, that, that was one of her big ones yeah and she she actually did that song on this tour um so there were a lot of performers on the tour wayne newton was there and different people were playing and i was there as Gary Sinise just to say thank you to the troops and wave and shake hands and take pictures and that kind of thing but i i had a band that i played with for fun and i i just wanted to do more than shake hands and take so I started taking them on USO tours and going all over the world to do that. And, and it became a part of my mission to, to lift spirits and raise spirits, to lift people up. And that that's, that's the whole purpose of the Gary Sinise Foundation that grew out of all these efforts that I was making back then, including the Lieutenant Dan Band just wanting to lift, lift people up. And, and the music became one way that I could get to these bases, lift spirits, sign a lot of autographs, take a lot of pictures, say a lot of thank yous and and reach the people that I was trying to serve. And now the band has played, gosh, we've, we've done over 500 concerts uh, on military bases all around the world. For the past 18 years now, any one single f- base outside United
0: States kind of comes to mind when you think as that was cool or not the typical
1: concert venue? Uh, well, many. I mean yeah. many. I, I remember when we were in Afghanistan in in 2009, we went to a a marine uh, a, a Marine Corps base uh, they called Camp Leatherneck. And it was, uh, it was dusty. I mean, it was just out in the middle of the dust. And the only thing that they could put up as a stage was like a flatbed truck. It was just, they, they kind of pulled these two, two flatbeds together and backed them together. And we just set up our equipment on the, on this back of a truck. That sounds authentically Marine, you know, not, (laughs) none of the pop. circumstance. It it was great though. I mean, the Marines were there, they were, you know, they were having a great time and we were able to, to to bring that spirit to them right before Thanksgiving. I think we played there. It might've been the day before Thanksgiving in 2009. And then we went to another base in Kandahar and played there, I think on Thanksgiving, but that was, that was an interesting tour. I mean, we, we played so many you know, concerts yeah. as I said. Well, for it, for, it, for it, listeners
0: it, and viewers, I mean, a couple of the places Gary's reference, they were taken incoming in some of these places. You can't really go to Kandahar at any time that our military was there in that southern part of Afghanistan with the mortars not uh, welcoming you upon arrival, right?
1: Well, there the, it, it didn't happen when the band was there, but there were, there were other times when I was uh, in Iraq Um, where alarms were going off and buildings were shaking and things, things like that. Uh, keep on uh, playing the music
0: though. I was just (laughs) curious after Forrest Gump, you played the role of president Truman. If I have the sequencing correct, I think, um, yeah, Lieutenant Dan frontline military officer, then you're playing the role of president United States shape your perspective kind of that spectrum you put them in the same mindset those two completely divorced pieces of the, of of your acting career and the way you think about
1: our country and 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 your outlook uh, yeah uh, truman was a very um chal- i mean they you in know, a lieutenant dan was challenging in in its way uh, Truman was challenging in a, in a, in a whole other way. When you're playing somebody, you know, famous like that, uh, somebody well-known, a historical figure with, um, uh, you know, 20th century figure that where there's actual film footage where you can see him and you can listen to him talking and, you know, uh, you have to create kind of as believable an impression of, of that real person as possible so our our story was based on the david mccullough book uh truman yeah. which is an excellent excellent i think book. another
0: pulitzer prize-winning book I'm pretty sure uh excellent excellent book yeah
1: and uh it was so there was so much in the book obviously they couldn't be in the movie we uh, when you look at the movie the movie is two hours long and we're trying to do 35 hours of This historical figure's life who had a pretty gigantic life, you know, when you look at Truman and what happened to him. Um, So very, very different characters, Lieutenant Dan and Truman, both military guys, because Truman served in World War One. Right. Um, uh, But different life journeys, for sure. <laughs> Truman never had the money that Lieutenant Dan ended up with. <laughs> that's uh, right. <laughs> Lieutenant Dan was a lot more successful in business
0: than yeah. uh, Harry Truman and his haberdashery. That's a, that's a good one. Uh, one last one and then we'll uh, close this conversation out uh, with our lightning round. Like you, uh, Ronald Reagan grew up in Illinois, became a Hollywood actor. And then dedicated uh, his life to serving others, uh, President Reagan's case, in, in public office. He had a line, he would jo- joked uh, when he was in the White House, he says, there have been times in this office when I wondered how you could do the job if you hadn't been an actor.
1: A little hint of irony there. All right. I think that was a response to a question Uh, about, you know, how can an actor be a president? (laughs) Right, right. He said, well, how can you be a president and not be an actor in some way?
0: But do you think there's some truth to that, you know, your career as a successful actor and then studying someone like a Truman and all the work you've done?
1: Yeah, I mean... That's part and that's part of the interesting thing about being an actor is you can go into these different worlds and assume these different personas and and create uh, different you know characters and, and that kind of thing. Um, I remember uh, you know I, I told a uh, kind of a funny story of uh, you know when when President Reagan got got his name Dutch, um, <laughs> Dutch Reagan, you know, and, uh, and, uh, they were, I remember the, this story that I told actually at the, the centennial, uh, celebration for his 100th birthday, I got to actually, right. actually be a part of that at, at the Reagan library and make a speech. And, uh, I remember they, 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 uh, you know, he was called Dutch Reagan, you know, because of that, all the sports stuff and everything. And uh, I guess his agents or his publicist said, you know, nobody's going to go see a movie with a guy named Dutch Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> and they that up, worked out. Yeah. Came <laughs> up with Ronald, you know, <laughs> Ronald Reagan. Now
0: that'll do it. That's as a ring. To it. <laughs> <laughs> how about that? <laughs> so be, before we close this out, you know, we referenced before the Gary Sinise foundation, just take a minute about, it's size it's work today. It's grown so much. I know the Reagan foundation has has worked with you. Our executive director, John Highbush is involved. It's reach seems to be pretty expansive. Tell us about where the Gary
1: Sinise foundation sits today. Yeah. We've just, uh, we just, this past June, celebrated our 10th year. We're in our 11th year now. Um, um, So it's relatively young as a foundation, but actually the roots of it are deep because I've I've been uh, very active with military support, uh, you know, veteran support going back into the 80s and into the 90s and then you know, uh, post-September 11th, got very involved with so many different military charities. And the, and those were all the roots that uh, the, the Gary Sinise Foundation stands on. So now we're we're 10 years into the mission of the Gary Sinise Foundation. John Highbush is one of my dear friends and uh, one of our board members on, on the Gary Sinise Foundation. In fact, prior to starting the Gary Sinise Foundation, when I was even considering it, John, having been in nonprofit and, you know, running the Reagan foundation, all these different things, he's got so much experience, so much wisdom that I would just pick his brain all the time. We'd go out for these Saturday morning breakfasts and I'd say, you know, I'm thinking of starting a foundation and you know, what if I thought about this and that and this and that, and you know, and John would give me a lot of, a lot of good advice. To the point where eventually, you know, I finally just said, you need to be on my board. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he had to go to the Reagan Foundation board folks and say, Gary would like me to serve right. as a board member on his foundation. Luckily, they all said good. And, and uh, you know, we've, we've done, I've done many events at the Reagan Library uh, with the Medal of Honor Foundation, the Medal of Honor Society, different events over the years. Uh, great relationship there. I was privileged to be invited by Nancy Reagan to come and speak at the Centennial, be one of the speakers there. That, that was fantastic. And now I have John Highbush on my on my board. Well, uh, okay. We have a tremendous uh, mission, and we're getting great things done for the men and women who serve our country.
0: You know, one of the important legacies of President Reagan, one that the foundation continues to promote is how focused President Reagan was on restoring American pride. Seems like a simple objective, but one that took a lot of effort and focus and restoring American pride also in the American military. Earlier in our conversation, you've talked about the Vietnam era and how the mindset of Americans was not one where you would naturally pick up their tab at a restaurant or make sure you went over to that person in uniform and thank them for their service. That was decidedly not the way the country was viewing the military during during that day and I think because of your work and the way the country's responded to our, our service members after during and after the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, you know that that mindset that Reagan emphasized continues to hold. I hope it continues. Do you get the sense that Americans continue to have that trust, confidence, and support of the men and women in uniform, if asked, maybe they're not, they could be doing more. They could support the, your foundation and others, but the mindset is one that views it, views the military as institution positively.
1: I, I think it's definitely uh, improved over, you know, the, uh, the, the years since Vietnam. Um, I think it's probably, if you have a personal connection to somebody who's serving or, uh, have, has served a family member or friend or something like that, you're probably more, um, connected to our military, uh, than someone who may not know anybody or never met any service members at all. Um, that that's kind of where I found, uh, that I could be play a role, Right. And just trying to bridge that gap a little bit, bring bring my uh, public platform that I have as a as a movie and television personality and use that to shine a spotlight on the on the men and women who are serving our country and try to educate people as to what they're doing, because I was going to the military bases and I was seeing them in action. And I came home and started talking about it to folks like you on uh on these uh, these you know these podcasts and different things it's super important
0: we do i mentioned before surveys and while the military remains the most trusted institution mm-hmm. in the united states like many institutions it's seen it's taken a bit of a hit of late perhaps driven by the divisions in this country uh domestically so the work you're doing gary we want you to succeed and and be successful because it does go a long way making sure that Americans have the right mindset, a positive mindset, a supporting mindset when thinking about the men and women in uniform are those in the military and our veterans who have served. Let's move to the lightning round. We'll finish this up where we ask all our guests their favorite book on President Reagan, favorite Reagan speech and favorite Reagan quote. You can give us all three, two or just one, whatever you got.
1: Well, I th- I think it may be um, um, my my life in in letters the the, the book uh, you know that you really get to you get to you get to know President Reagan through his own words you know you know so so specifically and uh, I'm, I'm uh, as far as a quote uh, I think. Um, probably the one that I've used the most is freedom is never more than one generation away from its extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream and must be fought for, protected and handed down for them to do the same. That's probably, um. That's probably my most used Reagan quote because it's so applicable, a- applicable to what I'm doing is trying to protect and defend and support our freedom providers, those who are fighting for it and protecting it and trying to hand it down. And um, truly something that
0: without fighting for, you may not have. That's the, We're seeing that across the world. That's exactly
1: right. It has to be, you know, when you go to places like North Korea or someplace. Like, I mean, I've stood on the border, I've been to the DMZ. So I've yeah. I've, I've seen the North Korean guards, you know, standing standing there, and they're slaves. They have no concept of what fr- living in a free society is. Everybody in the South does. And, you know, you really appreciate your freedom providers a lot more when you stand there and you're face to face with a a person who has, who has been born and raised to praise and worship the Supreme leader. It's often those who
0: had their freedom taken away, become the biggest advocates and the ones who give the most moving testimonials as to why it matters so much.
1: Sure. Or, you know, but, and, and even sadder when, you when you're staring at somebody who just never had freedom, To begin with, it wasn't taken away. It just was never there, you know, and there are societies like that today in this world. And so we have to we have to thank God that we have men and women that are willing to to protect our freedom for us. In terms of a speech, I'll I'll, I'll mention two speeches, of course, a time for choosing uh, one of the great speeches. Of course, he wasn't president at the time, but one of the great speeches of all time. And uh, I think as president, one of my standout uh, speeches is probably the 40th anniversary of D-Day. Oh yeah. Yeah, that speech. Gary Sinise, thank you so much for joining
0: us today. Hope to have you back on. My pleasure, thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Reaganism. New episodes premiere weekly every Monday on YouTube and all podcast streaming platforms. If you like this episode, be sure to let us know and share with a friend.